0: How many pro players would learn a lesson from that guy? Oh, shitty. Cotton! A little move, a little spin as he cut off the baseline. Now, this is a big-time move. Cotton the athletic move for two. This kid is, uh, is doing it beautifully.
1: Cotton for two more. Well, that's a strong move there. What a, oh, what a play by Cotton there what was crazy is when I first met you at the Nike Mm All-American camp, the big names were you, Ron Mercer, and then the underclassman there was Shea Cotton out of California. You remember him? him. Okay. Okay. Shout to Shea Cotton. There you go. And so you're there playing on on the court. So I just come out there and shoot around with you. So for some apparent reason, I just said check ball. All right, I know you're not gonna remember this, but I do. I told you check ball. So this is really what discouraged me. You and Shea Cotton helped me go to football. So I stuttered, then tried to go to the hole real quick. Laid that thing high off the glass where that white box is. You went up there and cleaned my ball. You went up there and cleaned it. So when you went up there and cleaned it, I looked up there and I'm like, man, he can jump that high. You know, shout out to you and Shay Cotton, man, because if y'all really wouldn't have discouraged me to play basketball, I mean, to, to play football, then where would I be at today? Shea
0: was a phenomenal athlete. He was a lot better than me. You know, if anybody back then thought anybody would go to the NBA, everybody, you know, pretty much packed him to be a top pick. He's a player that pretty
2: much kind of drove me. I want to be as good as him. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Not in My House podcast. This is your host, Eric, with our co host, Zach. Say, Zach, what's up? What's up, guys? Hey, we've got a really special guest today, the man child himself. By many, he's considered the greatest high school player of all time, and I actually agree with that. Um, He's got a film coming out that's actually on Prime that you need to really watch. Shay Cotton, thanks for coming on, my friend. Appreciate it. Thank thank you for having me, fellas. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I want to say to all of our listeners before we start the show, um, I I bought Prime a couple days ago and bought the movie because I was really interested in your story, and it blew my mind. So I want to say to all of our listeners, if you have Prime, if you don't have Prime, find a way to get this movie. Pay for it. It's very very worthwhile. It's a very uplifting story. Um, and it's, it's just, it's an amazing story personally. So I wanted to get, I wanted to say that. And I want to say real quick, um, hit the subscribe button, take care of us. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of great interviews or we're, we're charting on Apple for a uh, basketball podcasts, which is absolutely amazing. So thanks for all the support on that. Um, so I did watch a documentary, like I told you, but for our listeners, um, can you tell our listeners where you grew up?
0: I grew up in the Los Angeles Harbor area, uh, San
2: Pedro by way of Long Beach. Cool. Um, I enjoyed your mom in the film a lot. I thought she was awesome. And I thought, uh, you know, I started playing wee, you know, baseball. And I thought it was hysterical that she got you out of baseball because <laughs> she was worried about you getting hit with the baseball. And then you started playing right. basketball after that. How quickly did you realize that basketball was something that, that you could play? Like that you knew that, I got something here.
0: It's a great question. I think at the time I I stopped playing baseball, I was getting bored. That was right around 11 years old. I would always play in the park, playing ball with uh, the older guys. And at school, that's like grade school. So always kind of had like uh, an interest in it, but baseball had my heart. So when I started picking the basketball up around 11, it was like a natural feel. You know, I I instantly gravitated. I had success right away. I was very competitive, uh, had had, had, had an edge about my game. You know, I wanted to prove myself. I was eager to learn. I was a a huge student of the game. I did a lot of studying of former players, guys in my era, you know, and even before me. So I gravitated and propelled pretty quickly. I think by the time I was 12, I I became nationally known on ESPN, Class of Sports America, SSA, and things like that, and and things just started to catapult.
2: And you had, like – Right off the bat, pretty much too, you had a decent size on you, right? Compared to the other kids you were playing with in your in your division, right?
0: When I started, I was I was a scrony kid, honestly, and I was I could handle the ball and I loved to pass and I just get my team involved. And at that time I was like three years younger than a lot of the guys I was playing with in slam and jam at that time with Izzy Washington, rest in peace who passed away. I uh, learned to hone my skills and, and, and get used to the getting rid of the fear factor, playing against older, bigger, stronger opponents, and just relying on my skill set and my, my toughness.
2: Sure, sure. Um, one of the other things I thought was cool, um, I didn't have it, I had it from my dad, but not my mom, is that both your folks seemed very involved in your basketball, basketball, which I thought was really cool. Um, I think a lot of people don't even have parents involved or one parent involved, but what was it like and how important was it to have both of your parents involved in, in, in your basketball? Well, it meant everything, I mean, because at that time we were dealing with a different element growing up in
0: the L.A. Harbor area. You know, the gangs and the drugs were just rampant. It was at an all-time high, the crime rate, you know, and it just, there was a lot of gang war. So, I mean, you get chased home from school, you know, you walk down the wrong block, you know, you might get jumped. I mean, just, i seen people getting shot at, i seen guys get stabbed, you know, different things. Growing up as a kid, I mean, I'm in seventh grade, I'm going to the restroom, peers of mine are carrying pistols in class. So, you know, this is in the early 90s we're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, this wasn't heard of. You know, now today it's normal, the new norm, whatever the case may be. But with social media, I think it's diluted everything. It's given people instant access to popularity and status and exposure. But on the flip side of that, it's diluted our, our, our game. And I think our country is being desensitized because a lot of this stuff is whatever. I
2: agree. I want to ask a follow-up question on that. Um, being where you were when you grew up, did you get taken care of, and and almost have like a pass as you started getting better and getting national? Did the gangs like start like leaving you alone and being like, "Hey, this is Shay and you know Shea's got this chance to get to the NBA." Did you did you kind of get like that pass where you were like kind of not messed with? Is that correct? Maybe? Great, great question. In my area, in my area, for the
0: most part, you know, but when you go outside the area. It's a, it's a big issue. I mean, L.A.'s got over almost about 500 street gangs. So, wow. you know, you, you figure if you go to the wrong gas station, it could be fatal. I mean, sure. if people think this is like, you know, a glamorize in Hollywood and stuff, people that aren't from here. But when they come out here and, you know, you're naive, I mean, sometimes you get caught in situations because it's a much different city when the sun goes down compared to when the sun is shining. So, you know, for me, basketball was my, my safe haven. It was a sanctuary. I laid everything on the line because I wanted a better life. I didn't like stuff that I was seeing sure. in the street and stuff that some of my family members were going through who were actually in the streets at that time.
2: I got a chance to go visit them in prison and, and see certain things. And it, kinda, it probably kind of made it almost a real reality, I'm assuming. Absolutely. It was, for me, I, I, was, I was the biggest thing in L.A., next to Magic Johnson in
3: 95. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like from where you came from, um, it forced you to grow up fast. That's what it sounds like, and I think that you weren't just mature as far as your physical presence on the court, but I feel like also mentally you were a lot more advanced than everybody else, and I think maybe from where you come from has a lot to do with that. Um, You mentioned that you were a student of the game and that you watch a lot of film. Was there a certain player that you really tried to emulate your game after? Or who were the guys that you really studied to try to take away from them?
0: I think uh, it's a great question. There was a lot of guys that I gleaned from and I took parts of their game, different moves and stuff. I'd watch Lawrence Moten at Syracuse. I'd watch Ed O'Bannon at UCLA. You know, uh, I watched a lot of my brother's games. I went to his game. So I pick apart different little tricks and, of the trade, how to get up without the basketball, when you get the ball, when you're getting pressured in triple threat, how to create space, you know, when you're double team, how to split a trap, still be able to get through to get your shot off, you know, just be able to play through contact, learn how to finish at the rim, you know, when you receive the bump and stuff like that from the opponent and still finish plays and, and things of that nature. But, you know, I love to watch basketball coming up. We had great teams, you know, UNLV running Rebels. The Syracuse had great teams with Billy Owens, Derek Coleman, Red Archery. You know, guys like that, uh, Dave Johnson, um, tons of guys. The Ron Ellis, who went to out today, as well as myself. You know, I watched the Arizona teams with, with Reggie Gary and Khalid, Khalid Reeves and guys like that, uh, Chris Mills. You know, back to the L.A. with Harold Minor at USC. I mean, we had really good basketball to glean from. So every game that I played was filmed. Thank God my father shot a lot of the footage. We own all the content in the documentary, So after every game, I would go home. And I would analyze my my tape and look for mistakes that I made. And then I'd write them down. And then I'd review it after I finished watching my game. So going into the next day, in practice, I had something to cling to, and then in the games, I wouldn't be making the same mistakes game in and game out.
3: Right. Yeah, if, and if you had one of those players or any player, really, that you think plays the closest to your style, who would it be? Because when I, when I watch you play, there's really no one like you. I mean, it really seems like you were a pretty rare s- style of basketball.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's a great assessment. I feel like I'm a hybrid, man. It's You know, they say you were undersized. They to look, like I was a basketball player. Just put me on the floor. We make things happen. They compare me to Barkley. I think that to me, uh, um, anybody in the, in the most recent years, I would have to say a LeBron James and a Zion Williamson would be the two just because of their physical prowess as well as their athleticism and their, their, uh, their quickness, you know, their explosiveness.
2: Right. Yeah, we, me and Zach were talking about that too. We were trying to, after we both watched the documentary, we, I, we both watched it twice actually, and we were trying to think of who you, who you reminded, you know, and I, I see a little Sean Kemp in there. You know, with your explosiveness, like, okay. like, like, uh, like Sonic Sean Kemp, the right Rain Man, <laughs> not That's like right. Ma- the not, like, not like, like Orlando Magic Sean Kemp, <laughs> right? Like Sonic Sean Kemp, right? Um, right? The Rain Man, there you go. right? So we we saw a little bit of that there, Edel o- Ed O'Bannon for sure, Harold Miner for sure, um, but yeah, the explosiveness is the first thing that I noticed right when watching that documentary. Like I was telling Zach, it's like I knew where you were on the court. At all times in those videos, it was just obvious, you know what I mean? So, Zach, pick up the next question. Sorry, I just wanted to add that. Oh,
3: no, you're good. Um, I, I had a question just because I saw this in the Marinovich documentary how his son got a little bit burnt out from some of the workouts that he was doing. Did you ever feel that you got burnt out from the intensity of those workouts at a young age, or do you just feel like you were built for it? I was built for
0: it. My father had me and my brother doing construction at like nine, 10 years old, teaching us, you know. Uh, how to how to drive a how to drive a skip loader and things like that with no brakes. Like I mean we we had we had a real education man from Young. He taught us how to drive 18 wheelers and stuff. When we go to the dumps, I'd be riding in the pasture seat. He teach me how to raise the, the tail of the bed of the truck up and and lift the, lift the gates open and, and, and dump the uh the waste, whatever we were hauling. You know, things like that taught me a valuable lesson from Young, the work ethic. He wanted us to be men of integrity and accountability and I think he achieved that and along with strong moral fiber and, and men of faith so the, the toughness side of it with the strenuous uh, activity in the workouts didn't really bother me because me and my brother trained hard I mean we, we'd we work out every day outside of our team so we'd have practice with our schools and then come home and do our own private sessions together at night for about an hour and a half at San Pedro YMCA you know while we're just honing our skills developing our talent because Our goal was to be the best out of the LA Harbor area, and I feel like we accomplished that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's very evident that you guys did. And that's one thing I really noticed about your parents. You seem to come from a very strong household where they're really trying to preach you guys to do the right thing. A lot of parents would, uh, you know, really not have the advice that they're giving, and that's one thing I noticed. You come from a great family, and your brother, too, being being a great impact. Uh, So you had all the right people around you. my next question is about the the Nike. Uh, it seemed like you had a new pair of shoes to every single game in high school at a young age like that. Was that a lot of added pressure, or was that again just something that you think that you're so advanced and built for? I
0: think my talent warranted this situation at that time. You know, I was a walking billboard, so everything that I wore, people they analyzed and they observed anyway. And I helped Nike sell a lot of shoes. I didn't see one penny from the money, and I want people to understand that. I wasn't taking money. I wasn't in anybody's pocket. I was the biggest thing, you know, in the country in 95, and I was the biggest thing in California even before that. So, like, where do you go when you get to Sports Illustrated at 15 years old? You know, right. Uh, Brazil wins the World Cup. I have a four-page layout in there. Um, great pictorials. Great story. Playing at my day for a great coach, Gary McKnight. I had had a great time. That was some of my best years with my teammates. I still speak to a lot of those guys today. And um, I want people to understand that, you know, you're only as good as your last game. And it's not how we handle things when they're going well. It's when adversity hits. How are you handling it? Are you showing up every day? Are you meeting your obligations? You know, are you being accountable? Are you treating people with love and kindness, even though you're getting kicked in your grill? That's where the character is built in life. And that's why I want people to watch this documentary. And pay close attention to all the trials and the tribulations that me and my family went through and how we ended up in the end. It's not what you expect and a lot of the information people aren't even aware of. So they're hearing it for the first
3: time. Yeah. Um, When it comes to AAU, I feel like this is a question that you would probably be the best person to answer this since you are into coaching now and you went through the AAU circuit. But... What are your thoughts on AAU? Do you think AAU was a good thing for you personally growing up? Because there's a lot of criticism that AAU might not be doing as much teaching as it should be. But do you think AAU is good for you? And do you think it's uh, good for today's kids?
0: I think AAU was great for me. It kept me off the streets and saved my life ultimately because it gave me a chance to go to, to Las Vegas, to go to Utah, you know, to go to San Diego, you know, to go to Virginia to go to areas, Yakima Washington areas, I would never see normally without bouncing that basketball because it just takes you so many places in yeah. such a short time, uh, far beyond my peers, which gave me a different maturation level. So when I came back to my schooling and stuff at home locally, I was able to handle things better and you know be more of a leader and not get caught up in the peer pressures and stuff of, of adolescence experiences that most kids get caught up in. And for kids today, I think AAU is very important. I mean we need these extracurricular outlets, you know, to, to give kids opportunities, to give them hope and give them exposure, you know, so they don't make the wrong, wrong decisions in life, so they don't get caught up selling drugs, so they don't start robbing people, so they don't get in gangs and stuff like that. And give them some kind of drive and some direction because everybody's not gonna make it to the NBA. But if you can utilize your talents and sport to get you a college education and graduate and then create a life for yourself and your family, that's a success story and that's really what we're working towards today. That's kind of what my motto is just to help make the world a better place enriching the lives of the youth, you know, obviously through sports, education and mentoring, and obviously my documentary, Matt
2: I also think like with the AAU, it's, it's that certain mindset. And I think that's why you so, you know, took advantage of that in a good way because you had that like work ethic mindset. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like that's right. a, huge, a huge thing for, for AAU ball, right? To to be right. You know you want to play ball, you're in that position, and you know that you're coachable, correct? Absolutely. It's tough. I mean, you gotta be ready to play. AAU is is a step
0: up from the high school circuit because it's like feast or famine. Every game you have to show. There's uh, agents there, there's handlers, there's shoe people, you know, you have AAU coaches, you got your peers, there's other parents, there's friends, you know, your girlfriend or whatever may be in the stands. You never know who's watching. You have to show up every night and you face some of the best competition that you'll ever see on yeah. a national level. And I think that gave me a world of confidence going into my high school experience, knowing that I pretty much was reigning supreme on the AAU circuit from my whole high school career. It gave me a lot of, a lot of drive going into our, our leagues when, when it was time to play with my high school team. Yeah, that makes sense for sure.
3: Yeah. And, you know, throughout your high school career and AAU, I think that's another thing AAU does. It allows you to play against the best of the best. And You got to play against Ronnie Fields, Lenny Cook, Kevin Garnett, Kobe Bryant. Uh, You played against all of them, but they all seemed to have something different that really separated them, that really stood out, like something that we had never seen before. Um, Out of all those guys, who was the one guy that wowed you? But also, what do you think was the most unique thing about your skill set that really jumped out? Great question. Um, out of all those guys, I wouldn't say anybody wowed me. I think I
0: just was really impressed with the way uh, KG approached the game and what he brought to the table. And I think his career spoken value for, obviously, what I've seen that, that pretty much validated that. He was special to me. He was uh, he was past a hybrid. He was like an anaconda or something, man. I mean, he's out there rebounding the ball, blocking shots of one hand. I mean, just bringing it back in like this, yelling at the wall, you know, he's <laughs> jump hooks. He's shooting mid-range shots. I mean, he could handle the ball. He was athletic. He had a huge motor. You know, Stephon Marbury was another guy watching as a point guard playing against him in high school. You know, we both went, went head-to-head. We were core MVPs in the Torrey Pines Classic down in San Diego. I think I had like 37 or 38, and Steph had like 35 or something like that. But, uh, I mean, he was shooting for threes from almost half court. His moves were crisp. You know, he was tough-minded. You knew he'd be special too but um I think at the end of the day my my game was was separated me I think was my first step I had one of the quickest first steps I had a 41 inch vertical leap you know my drive and my hunger was like a pit bull off a muzzle so Hmm. I wasn't going to back down there was no fear factor there like you know I grew up tough I mean I had to play against my brother he was big west defensive player of the year before he got drafted to the Seattle Sonics And um, I knew when I could start getting buckets on him, I was on my way. So I I gleamed him and then add to it watching footage and then testing myself against the best players in the country.
3: Yeah, and talking about the best players in the country, uh, Paul Pierce said in the documentary that you were, that he considers you his biggest rival. Did you ever feel like you had a a big rival? Or, I mean, were you just that much higher above everybody in high school? Uh, But, I mean, did you have a rival?
0: Uh, well, a guy that I that I wanted to play against, and I finally got the opportunity in Nike Camp at that time because West Coast was wasn't really looked at as credible for for our players. They felt we were soft. A lot of the writers were kind of biased to the back East and Midwest and down South type guys. So I had to really prove myself. I think at that time the guy that I was gunning for was a guy of Columbus, Ohio, Esteban Weaver, who has a documentary as well. Um, he was a big time Nike guy. He was a point guard. He was like six four. They they uh compared him to Magic at that time because he could really pass. He was a competitor. He scored the ball a lot of different ways, and, you know, he was a mismatch at that size. So we had a chance to play against each other at the Nike camp, and I went right at him, and he couldn't do nothing with me. So I knew, okay, I'm on my way. The training's working. The commitment's paying off. You know, I just got to stay on course or stay out of trouble.
2: Shay, can you tell us about the pickup games in L.A.? That was one thing I was – was really interested in the word was you were dominating pros like Magic Eddie Jones, many others that would play these pickup games. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, you know, the UCLA men's gym
0: in the yeah. summer, man! It, yeah, that's where you get all your work in. You know, guys, we had NBA players on one court, then the college players on the other court. And uh, I, I happened to be able to play on Magic's team, I was 15 years old, I remember wow. we just won a state title. I was CIF State Player of the Year in 1995, never been done since in the state of California. John Wooden Player of the Year as well that same year. That's the summer I played against Kobe. Um, I beat him. I'll play him in the NBA Players' Camp in Princeton, New Jersey. And I would always go up to the men's gym at UCLA to test my skills against the NBA's elite. I mean, Jimmy Jackson in his prime was there. I played against him, Kenny Anderson, uh, Eddie Jones, Grant Hill. You know, I played with Magic on his team. He he didn't have anybody on his team that wasn't in the NBA, first and foremost. I was the only guy, let alone an amateur, but a guy that wasn't in the NBA, that was playing on his team on the NBA court in 95. I mean, I'm 15 years old. People need to understand. This oh, is a big deal. He, you know, he, the things that he happened he, in my career were out of my control. I did everything I needed to do to succeed in my mission, but some things happened that weren't supposed to. And it, and it turned me into a different player as well as a different person long-term as an adult.
2: Can I ask you how Magic was towards you? Was he a cool guy? Was he, was he hard on you because you were 15? Um, what was he like? Uh,
0: he was cool. I mean, he, nice. Magic knew, he knew already that I could play. So it was just a matter of me being comfortable around him and, and, the, and his peers and them you know, accepting me. And when they saw that they could give me the rock, I wouldn't turn it over. I'm either making a play or, or making a play for a teammate. They, they start to develop confidence and trust in me. And I think that's what developed the bond. And, you know, I would grow up watching Magic at the L.A. Showtime era, some of the best basketball I've ever seen. Sure. I fell in love with him as a professional. You know, his charisma, his character, his integrity, along with his work ethic and his, and his,
2: his desire to win. Let me ask you one more question about that. If you don't mind, I'll turn it over to Zach. Um, Tell me what it was like when you went home that first day after playing with Magic Johnson. It was surreal. You know, I, it didn't really hit me
0: until I got back, and then I would see, like, clips from the Laker games or something, and I'm like, man, I'm actually playing with this dude. Like, I'm on my way. That's all I could think of. I, yeah. I'm on my way, but I, I can't worry about that. I got to stay locked in and keep getting better every day. That was my, that was my test to, to never be complacent, and I've, I've taken that serious in my life. I've taken it to heart these days as
2: well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I couldn't even imagine being 15 years old and playing ball on the same team as magic Johnson. And then going home. I mean, I would have been like a little schoolgirl freaking out personally. It's just amazing to think (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, he, he was the man. And that was like, what, what year was that? Was that 94? What year was that? Do you remember? 1995. Okay. So that was like magic. Like kicking around the idea of coming back in the NBA, then basically, yeah, yeah, okay, yep. okay He cool. was training and getting himself
0: back, and he was in good shape. He was looking good. I mean, you you couldn't tell that he had took time off. Right. You know, watching him at that time, he had a, a world of confidence. He ran the gym first of all. It comes down to the last shot. He's got the ball in his hand. If he doesn't make it, he's calling. He's
3: calling ball up top.
0: Yeah, yeah, is. Well, yeah, he is. <laughs> well I, Shout
3: I don't out know, to that... the Magic Man. <laughs> I don't know, Shay. It kind of sounds like you were running the gym from the stories I hear. I've taking it all the pros. Hey, um, you know what? I consider <laughs> myself a solid assassin, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I have a question, and I'm not going to ask anything about the NCAA because I want people to really watch the documentary. Um, but I do have a question throughout your career. Do you feel like you're ever too unselfish throughout your career? Because – I'm not sure how it was back then, but do you think players have a lot more power in how they control um, how coaches handle their situations uh, than they did back then? Or do you think that you could have used, like, your star power to maybe change your situation?
0: That's a great question. I think um, absolutely. Uh, The only thing differently I could have done is went straight out of high school. I think I uh, suffered my shoulder injury in my junior year, the junior summer playing against the Odom and the Long Island Panthers. And I was a McDonald's All-American, so I had to sit out my senior year. I was supposed to play in the game. So that was, that was a hit to me, and I, I wasn't really excited about that because that's what I was working towards. That was like our pinnacle in high school basketball to become a McDonald's All-American. So for me, it was more about just being the best I could be and showing the world coming back from an injury. I felt it was necessary for me to go to college. Otherwise, without the injury, I'm going straight to the NBA. I mean, there was really no need for me to go to college at that point because the fanfare that was around me, you know, Jerry West was coming to my games in my sophomore year speaking to my parents about my future. And I wasn't aware of these things until later in life. So they tried to protect me from a lot of the the pressure and the, the obligation of this of sport can put on you when you become a marked man.
3: Right. And um, for you, taking a little bit of time off after the injury and everything that happened in between, how did, what adjustments did you have to make both basketball wise, but also mental wise? And do you think maybe you somehow lost like some sort of killer instinct? I'm not sure if that's the right answer to use, but I mean, it's gotta be hard to kind of take some time off and come right back into, you know, your silent assassin mode, like you said.
0: Yeah, I was, I was basically uh, like in a position where I felt like I, w- I was in a desolate location, all alone, I've seen everybody just kind of flee. You know, you've seen a lot of the, the fanfare kind of fade and go go into a different space with players that were emerging, like Baron Davis and, you know, Paul Pierce was going into Kansas. So there was there was guys in the L.A. area that benefited from me getting injured because I was basically hogging the limelight at that time before that. So, you know, with my play and the consistency in our AAU team, we had a great team with Kenny Bruner, Jason Hart, Chris Burgess. You know, we had a lot of good guys that wound up playing high-level Division I college basketball. But I was like the main guy. From a mental aspect, you, you, know, you play, your mind plays tricks on you when you go through a serious injury. I had never really been hurt, so I had a reconstruction to my labrum. So I tore it right down the middle. So they had to cut me open and repair that. That took about four to six months at that time to heal. Then I had to do my rehab and stuff, and all the while, I got a chance to watch a lot of my peers ascend, you know, upward north with notoriety, exposure, rankings, you know, and and more opportunities to colleges. And it just kind of, I was on mute while I was healing, rehabilitation. It was a mind, body, and spirit type of experience for me because for the first time, I wasn't the guy that everybody was, was rallying behind. I was kind of like on an island by myself. And it helped me. It was good for me because it allowed me to have a different level of concentration when I came back to the
3: game. Yeah, and going into the draft process, um, can you maybe walk us through what that draft process was like for you? And I mean, what kind of feedback? I mean, were you getting any any feedback at all from scouts on maybe what they felt your weaknesses on, or what you needed to work on, or was it just a complete, utter shock that?
0: you know, the draft process played
3: out the way that it did.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was a shock. You know, uh, the 99-2000s when I came out of Alabama to go into the free draft, I was there with the likes of Dan Lange, Mike Miller, Jamal Crawford, Daniel Harvey, uh, a lot of Jason Hart, a lot of my peers growing up, Justin Love, uh, Kenyon Martin. You know, it was a really strong draft, and I was told I'd be a mid-first round, mid, mid-late first round pick, so that's guaranteed money. I felt pretty good. Um, my, my agent at the time was Steve Kaufman, who had offices in Malibu, Philadelphia, I believe, New York, Chicago. And uh, he had a lot of middle, middle guys in the league. And he had spoke to teams, and he felt pretty confident about my chances. So there was, there was a, a quiet confidence there going into the NBA draft experience. So to sit there and watch and not get my name called after my body of work, it was like a slap in the face, and it was a humiliating experience. I mean, I cried like a little baby that day. So. But that, 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 that day turned me into a man. You know, it just showed me that I was going to do whatever I needed to do to not only succeed, but, but to, to have the right to work and make money playing basketball and, um, you know, for myself and my life and to be able to help others. I think today what I'm doing is more special than what I did even on the basketball court because I'm able to, to breathe life into kids all over the country from my experiences that I've had, good, bad, and indifferent, that's going to help make them better people.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. You know, the thing that was weird for me, Shay, if you don't mind me commenting, it's like you have Orlando that's interested in you, and then I believe it was the Timberwolves, right? And you are supposed to go first round. I have no idea why they right. did not take a second round flyer on you. Like, like okay, What's you the, don't go in the first, why not? The second, I don't get it. They did a European deal that was
0: already worked out. Both of those teams had guys they were looking at um, that were from Europe. And oh. these deals had already been worked out ahead of time. So I got caught up in a draft where it had the most foreign players that the NBA had ever seen at that time. And that's when the NBA was pretty much going international. Yeah. Where they're bringing guys in from different countries, you know, and, and to create that 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 uh, stamp and that kick money there as well, which I understand on the on the business side of things. But... There wasn't 50 guys in the draft that was better than me. So, right. you know, they whether I got drafted or not, the people are going to speak for me, and I'm fine with that. You yeah. know,
2: it's a great point that you bring up with that, too, because, like, you know, you got Drazen, you got uh, Tony Kukoc, you got guys that are doing it, and then everybody, you're right, everybody started taking flyers on Euro guys in the second round. You're totally right. Um, and then, of, of course, Dirk comes in in 98, too. But you're totally right about that. I didn't even think about that. So that's a really good, uh, it's a really good point you just brought up. Um, so you get a summer league invite. They see you up close. Um, what feedback were you getting from teams, and, and what, did you, what did you think that you needed to work on to get into the league? Because, I mean, obviously I'm baffled you weren't in the league in that draft. Um, is there anything that you were getting, like, hey, you need to work on this a little bit more of that from the, from the scouts and some of the teams in the summer league or no? Well, to be honest with you, uh, I
0: think my best opportunity was with the Clippers, with Dennis Johnson, rest in peace. When he was coaching there, um, I was in camp with them because uh, the workouts that they had at L.A. Southwest College, I was invited to, and they had Quentin Richardson, Corey McGetty, all their their young talent that that was on the roster, and they were in the workouts as well, and we were just getting ready for a summer league opportunity. And I was a free agent. So we're playing one-on-ones, and we're doing like, post-up drills and, and guard stuff, then I was scoring on everybody in front of me. I mean, they couldn't stop me. And then I was locking my guys up that I was guarding. So Dennis Johnson started to get intrigued and he, he brought a chair from the half court sideline to underneath the basket where we were where we were playing at, and just started watching the uh the training. And he'd start talking smack like you guys can't stop this guy. This guy's not even under contract. He, he's not even we're not even signed. We're not even signing him yet. You know, you guys can't even stop him. So I just kept working and working. And finally, he pulled me to the side a couple of days later. Dennis told me, he said, look, I'm bringing you to the summer league. And uh, we want to give you an opportunity. You're athletic. You're tough. You know, you're from here. I know your, your pedigree. We want to give you an opportunity and see see how it works. And uh, winning the summer league, I was very confident. Went in there and played well when I got an opportunity. And He pulled me to the side after one game. We played against Seattle Supersonics with Flip Murray. Uh, the guard, former guard from Philadelphia, who was, was a tough player. And uh, I think I had like 18 and seven in like 10 minutes off wow. the bench. Then he said, if I'm here, I'm going to sign you. And they fired him the next morning. So oh I think God. I had bad breaks in my yeah. career yeah. at the wrong time. If I had the same opportunity as the next man, we don't have this conversation. But that's neither here nor there now. You know, um, when, when I was on top, there was nobody better. I had a lot of fun. You know, it comes to an end for all of us someday. So towards the end of my career, I was thinking about what could I do that was bigger than when I played to help people, and I feel like I'm operating in that space now. So, right I don't on, think right you for on. It.
2: Hey, um, can you walk us through, this, through the experience overseas? Because it looked like you produced good numbers for a few seasons, averaging 27, seven and four, 56 um, from the field and 36 from from three. Were you getting positive feedback during those times? I mean, you had to be right.
0: Yeah, I was, I was communicating with the agent, you know, year in and year out in different teams and stuff. But it's tough. When you go international, you have to be put in the right situation. They have to showcase your talent. You can't go in and they just want to use your your fame and your status and then put you on the bench, you know. Nobody really in Europe could guard me either. You know, and I'm not being, I'm not being a person. I'm not uh, flamboyant and braggadocious. No, no, no. I'm not the type of guy. I let my game right. speak for itself. Nobody could guard me in Europe when I played. I played against Maccabi Tel Aviv. I had 19 against them in like 10 minutes, too. It was easy, man. Taking advantage of opportunities and making my team better. And when I played well in Europe, I wouldn't play for two or three games. It was the weirdest thing I'd ever experienced. Because in NBA, when you play well, you get more minutes and you make more money.
2: Right.
3: Right. Um, I have have a question for you, Shea. Um, You grew up in an era where there's no social media at all. But I feel like with the impact that you had and just your presence in the gym, I feel like the internet probably would have exploded. Um, Do you feel like if social media were around during your day, do you think that would have been a positive or do you think that would have been a negative with all the added pressure to you? Or do you think it would have just skyrocketed your career? Well, if I had
0: social media when I was playing, first of all, I would have broke the internet. And I think (laughs) secondly... (laughs) It it would have been ugly because they would have – you'd see the footage. I wouldn't have to do a lot of talking because we have way more footage that I couldn't retrieve from, you know, the likes of the NBA, the likes of ESPN, from some of the games that I played against some of the guys that made it to the NBA when I was better than them at that time. So having all that content brings color to life and there's less explanation explaining you have to do. But the good thing is there's a lot of people that see me play all over the country, and they're speaking on my talent even today, which is a blessing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And um, I feel like the social media, for sure, for guys like LaMelo Ball or, you know, Zion Williamson, it really worked in their favor. I feel like it, that could have been the same for you. Um, I, I want to ask you something. It's kind of interesting because you put up great numbers in Europe. Um, but I want to know when you think you were at your best. What, what, what was your prime, do you think?
0: If I had to say, you know, when I was at my best would we'll be in high school, you know, my best years um, as a player and being a part of a real team was in modern day, 94, 95. 95 was my pinnacle, I would say this, before I injured my shoulder and my life changed forever from that point on, on and off the court. So that 94, 95 experience was great because everybody on our team knew their role. And right. Coach McKnight was a no nonsense type of coach, you know, a story tradition. We're USA Today, top 25 every year. We have a national schedule, a Nike contract, Gatorade contract. I mean, it's just great experience. I still have lifelong relationships with a lot of my teammates. I still talk to my coach, Gary McKnight, you know, pretty much monthly. And I try to try to support the team from afar because I'll always be a monarch, you know, and it's, it's in you. Once you go through that and you, you lay it on the line and you shed blood for that school, it's like nothing else. I mean, it's like a college in California. I mean, you see the following, you, you see the stickers on back of cars all up and down the freeways.
3: Right. And, um, you know, one, one thing I really respect about you is to be able to come back and still be involved with basketball after everything that you've gone through in your career. Um, did you ever hit a point, though, where you didn't want to be involved with basketball, or did you know that you always wanted to get into coaching to help kids uh, go through, you know, maybe help help them through not making the same mistakes or going through what you had to go through?
0: That's a great question. Um, yeah, towards the end of my career, I knew that I was going to retire right around 30. My daughter, Chloe, was being conceived. She's 11 years old now, so I'm 42. So right around 29, going into 30, I was retiring. I thought to myself, I want to do something greater to help a lot of people, you know, and um, for for me that it was it was just about the retirement was what do I do next after I'm done playing. I think a lot of guys have a tough time transitioning, but I think the fact that I had so much adversity, it was so hard to get my eligibility to finally be able to play in college, taking two years out of my career from high school to college and then having my pro career bouncing from country to country. It, it, it gave me a different drive because I was displaced from my peers. I mean, when people see the documentary, I've got Elton Brandon there. We've got Tyson Chandler. We've got Metta World Peace. We've got Paul Pierce. We've got Baron Davis. I've got Darrell Wright. You know, we've got guys, Eric with all these guys playing the NBA. And all these guys are my peers, some of them younger, some of them around my age, but I was the guy that everybody was gunning for. So what I, what I explained to people about this documentary and- my life it's very important for kids to watch and parents to understand because if it can happen to me it could happen to anyone's kid and the reason why I put this out is so we can avoid this happening in the future to anybody else
3: yeah and uh you know Shay I coach myself I coach high school basketball and watching your documentary I feel like it is probably the most important documentary for these kids to watch because it's such a Everything really has to fall in place perfectly for you to be in the NBA, even when you're the best. And uh, I think watching this documentary is so important for both parents and kids. Uh, I'm going to make sure every single one of my players watch this documentary.
0: I appreciate that. And, you know, just spread the word as much as possible. It's available right now, iTunes, Amazon, all platforms where you can purchase movies and you can rent it as well. So don't hesitate, you know, spread the word, watch it, tell a friend, enjoy it, you know, let's have some dialogue because uh, my life helped a lot of people with the way I was recruited. You know, now with the bill, Senate Bill 206 that I was passed with Governor Gavin Newsom, with LeBron James administrating this with the Fair Pay-to-Play Pay Act, I'm most likely going to be a spokesman for that because I was one of those people that was exploited at a time when we weren't able to be compensated like kids are today with the outside sponsorships and things like that.
2: Uh, that's great. That's absolutely great news. Hey, I have a question about your coaching. I'm a music teacher, so not basketball related, but music. It's the same thing. I've I've gotten plenty of kids away from drugs and turned plenty of kids lives around and, and seen my students do things I never got to do, which is amazing, like play huge arenas nice. and go overseas. It's, it's unreal. Um, nice. and, and this question is going to sound kind of funny, but, but I, I really want you to hit on this for the listeners. Um, how do you think your career helped your coaching? What I mean by that is, is you were like the number one player in the country being that four four, um, page article in Sports Illustrated, but also going through the struggle, the struggles and experiences and disappointments that you have. How much do you think that really helps the kids that you coach? Tremendously, because I think, you know, kids can learn more from
0: people that have adversity and pitfalls along the way, rather than somebody that just kind of has that trajectory and just kind of ascends upward with no, with no friction. I'm able to glean to these kids and, and, you know, breathe life into them and and reach them on a different level, emotionally and psychologically at times, because I know what I'm looking at. Yeah. You know, and and when you go through all this adversity, it'll it'll play mind games on you. So I can kind of pinpoint things with kids and pull them to the side and have a conversation as a small pep talk, a little mentoring moment and really help them keep them on the right track and sometimes, you know, get them in the right gear so they can operate and be successful. But without those, adversities and obstacles I have had to overcome, I might not I might not be as, as impactful with these kids today. So it's a blessing at the same time.
2: And you know what the funny thing about that, Shay, is too, is, like, I notice I'll get students that will say things to me later. Not not now. Like, later. Like, I right. had a student last week right. who was like, man, because you really opened up my mind about a lot of stuff, and I appreciate you for that. And it's – I've had this kid for six years, and, like, now he says something. Right. So it's not – Right. So it's almost like not the instant gratification. Sometimes it's the long-term or things that they remember that you taught them that carries over into their everyday life too, not just their basketball life. You know what absolutely. I mean? Great
0: observation. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, my motto with that is the turtle wins the race. A lot of people look at life like it's a, you know, it's a sprint, it's a marathon and it's a journey at the same time. And it's like, who's going to take that journey with you? And I think kids will glean to you when they know you're being forthright. And yep. you're being honest with them. And if you can develop their trust, that, that's, that's, that makes all the difference in the world. You know, it's, it's understanding how to communicate and then how to, how to be able to listen and receive their information at the same time.
2: I completely agree with you. Completely. Zach? You got uh,
3: you know, Shay, if, if you don't mind, I just want to go quick lightning round. Just a couple really quick questions okay. uh, before we send you away. Uh, just okay. some kind of fun ones for our listeners. But how old were you when you first dunked?
0: I was 12 years old. Got my first dunk at AAU uh, championship game, Roanoke, Virginia.
3: All right. And uh, what was your first college letter from? Do you remember? My first college letter was from UCLA. Okay. Uh, what is your favorite memory from your playing days? I know it's a loaded question, but what's your favorite if you had to pick one?
0: My favorite memory was winning the state title with Modern Day in 1995 at the Oakland Coliseum against Oakland Fremont um, when I when I became the state player of the year, CIF, as well as John Wood, player of the year.
3: Okay. And uh, if you had to pick your toughest matchup, the toughest one you ever had, the one dude that really gave you a problem, if you had to pick one, who would it be?
0: My most memorable and toughest matchup was Kobe
3: Bryant, rest in peace. Okay. And uh, if... There's one word of advice that you can give to kids coming up. What would it be? Um, no
0: matter how hard it gets, don't ever quit. And believe in yourself when no one else does.
2: Right on. Hey, Shay, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I mean, you're super inspirational. Your story is incredible. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to plug, obviously, the documentary. But if there's anything else you want to plug, now your time. Um, plug away real quick for us if you don't mind. Okay. I want to, I want to
0: uh, encourage people to, to check out the merch. The, this is one of the Manchild hats here, dad hat. Uh, go to therealmanchild.com, our website. You can purchase them now. We've got hats, T-shirts available. And I'm encouraging everybody to get on the platforms now. Go to iTunes. Go to Amazon. You know, go to any of the platforms and look for the Man Child documentary. Buy it. Rent it and tell a friend, and enjoy, and be better from it. Thank you guys for the opportunity,
2: I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time, Well, we really, really appreciate it. Zach, you got any final words before we send Mr. Gardner off?
3: Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Shay. I really appreciate you coming on, and your documentary. I watched it three times, and it touched me in a different way every single time that I watched it. It's really moving, and uh, I mean, I kind of grew up where you were the measuring stick for a lot of us and you might not even know, it, but some kid from Reno, Nevada was looking up to you to make himself better. So you've done so much for people and this documentary is going to continue to do that. And uh, I'm just really glad that you, that, uh, that it's out there now. So thank you very much.
2: Absolutely. Thank you
3: for your time, fellas.
2: Thank you very much. You have a great week. Take care. What an interview, like legitimately, and I'm not blowing smoke up anybody's ass. I, I bought Amazon prime because I didn't know it was on iTunes spent the 8 a month, bought the movie because, you know, honestly I wanted to be on point for this interview and it was like the best 14 bucks I spent between the Amazon and, and the movie. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. dude, it's amazing. I mean, and for that gentleman to give the time that he gave to us um, is awesome and he's inspirational and I know that he's going to, really make a difference in a lot of kids' lives. You know, when you watch the documentary, you'll, you'll learn a lot of stuff. It's, it's a heartbreaker, and then it's an adversity. Like, yeah. it really shows. Like, I mean, imagine you knowing you should be in the NBA, but imagine you playing against Hall of Fame players that were just high school kids, like your Paul Pierce's, your Kevin Garnett's, You dunks on Kevin Garnett three times in a game, Kobe Bryant's. I mean, he put, you know, Baron Davis, I mean, you name it, you name it, name it. I mean, look, Kobe's going to be, NBA, gonna be a, he's going to be a hall of famer. So is Kevin Garnett. So is Paul Pierce. There's three yeah. guys right there and you're dominating and you don't get the opportunity over and over again. That breaks a lot of men, but yeah. this gentleman, it did not break. And he gave everything he, he had and put it towards coaching and put it towards mentoring young men. And I think that's amazing.
3: Yeah. No, uh, it it takes a really, really strong man to go through what he did. And we didn't even really talk about everything that you'll see in the documentary that will really move you. But I I don't know if you're like a spiritual guy, but if you are, it's like God chooses somebody that can handle that. And he chose the right person that could handle that. And that will, says, I think Shay will be the one to bring up the next you know, big player yeah. to the league, I, I think he's 100% right that he's going to be that guy that helps bring, you know, get these guys. Into I believe the it.
2: Look at his attitude just with us. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was just super cool, super chill. Like we were right at his level. He didn't talk down to us. He was just, you know, he said great question a lot of times. And, and you know, he made it very comfortable to interview him. And you can just tell by his attitude with us you could tell he's just killing it with the kids. You can tell oh, yeah. that there's so many of those kids that look up to him. Like, you know, he's an inspiration, man. And he's definitely worth watching. It's, it's definitely worth getting that documentary. Uh, man Child, it's really easy to find. It took me two seconds to find on Amazon. And I'm yeah. not technically great with those sites when it comes to movies. But uh, I found in like literally two seconds. And man, what a great, I mean, your mind is going to be blown. I promise you when you watch yeah. this documentary. Um, just even in the footage.
3: Oh, my God. Like, dude, God. He's, four, he's
2: 14, dwarfing everybody, and he's just killing it. Like, pull-up pull threes, like, really, in fact, dunks. I mean, he's just blocking shots. Like, I forget
3: it, man. He's amazing. I mean, he is an absolute man amongst boys. And, I mean, you talk about guys like Zion Williamson today. I mean, you talk about, like, LaMelo Ball. and Like, you know, they, they cannot hold a candle to what this no guy is doing. Not I enough. mean, and if you – if you, you can't just take our word for it. you got to go watch a documentary. you got to watch the highlights. And you have to see what these dudes like Paul Pierce, Baron Davis, yeah. Hall of Fame players are yeah. saying about this guy.
2: Randy Moss. People forget yeah. Randy Moss is a two-way player, and he played with Jason Williams, right? They yeah. forget that. And Moss actually was pretty legit. I mean, six four, right about the same size. He yeah. was a legit basketball player. And, and when you hear what Moss has to say in that documentary, it's going gonna, it's gonna to trip you out for sure. I mean, it did for me.
3: Yeah, you know what stands out to me the most though about this documentary, I'm not going to give anything away. It's just the yeah, yeah. is what a great family he comes from. Absolutely, because like, with the way his parents are bringing it up, I mean, his family did all of the right things. Yeah, to, make, to help this guy succeed, he did all of the right things to succeed. I mean, you can tell, like, look how um, pleasant and educated he sounds. And yeah, um, his brother. I mean, yeah like it's this is not somebody that was getting in trouble no this is somebody who's a very well educated uh pleasant person and it's just um, uh it's mind-blowing that this that the uh, the circumstances that he had to go through
2: yeah and i think you know what let's bring up another good point without his family that's a tough thing for him to to overcome yeah like his mom dude his mom is just wait until you see his mom in the movie she's amazing she is, Dad, yeah. Dad's like the, the the strong silent type, not a lot of words. Brother, you can tell is the brother that's got his back, no matter what. You know, it's yeah. it's it's. You look, it's a great family, and because it's a great family, Shay's where he's at right now. Yeah, you know, what I mean, just from what he told us in the interview, when you watch the documentary, you'll know. Um, man, anything else you want to talk about? I want to do. I want to read out another review because we've been getting some more reviews again, which is amazing. But is there anything you want to? Uh, chat about real quick before i pull up the review
3: i mean i could go on and on about shay but i'm not going to because i, I really want people to watch the documentaries so i'm just going to say it again go on amazon prime search, search man child it is so worth the eight nine dollars whatever it is it's so worth it. And i guarantee you're going to watch it more than once i guarantee you that
2: oh hands down hands down i mean it's i i definitely watched it a couple times for sure and not even research-wise, I just did it because it was amazing, you know? Okay, so here's one. This is a good one. Good basketball talk by Dr. Free Throw. Um, the tributes wow. to these players and coaches shown at the start of these episodes are very nice and it shows a generous amount of respect. A good reminder on how dominant or clutch these players were in their playing days. It also helps refresh the memory of where we remember these players from. It makes you feel like those memorable moments again when you catch my interest right away you'll be excited and pumped before the show even starts the conversations are good for the most part the hosts tend to jump off topic or talk uh, over each other sometimes but that's just me oh, really no. re- i know right but that's just me really reaching for a negative which is a nice positive actually overall i feel like these are well done um for the from the eight to nine episodes i've listened to host has a good voice nice i'll take that other guy other guy is very knowledgeable
3: (laughs) i got a name jeez other guy other guy i'm
2: gonna start start calling you i I
3: appreciate that
2: (laughs) overall i feel like these are well done um i believe this is a hidden gem highly recommended for any true true hoops fan so thank you very much dr free throw we're reading one of those every episode because the crazy thing is like We've got over 45 reviews now or something crazy like that. So I
3: wonder if he's an actual doctor, though, because that was like a novel that yeah. he wrote.
2: <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much, man. Pretty much. You know what? We respect and thank you guys so much for doing that. We're charting a lot on these, on the Apple uh, Basketball Podcast charts, which is amazing. So if you just show us a little love, do one of those reviews, takes two seconds, or maybe even just give us five stars and that's it. We don't care. Um, it's free. You don't have to put any emails, addresses in or anything like that. And it really doesn't take too long. Um, social media, we're all over the place. This is how we're getting our guests. I mean, you know, find us on Twitter. Twitter seems like that's the best place to find us and interact with us. Um, but yeah, we're getting a lot of, a lot of good guests. We've got some, got some good ones coming up, um, in the next, next about week or two. So thank you so much for everybody. Thanks for Shay Cotton for really donating a ton of his time. Um, I really enjoyed talking to him for sure. And I know you did too, Zach. He was amazing. Um, any final thoughts before we get on out of here and enjoy our week?
3: Um, I, I think my final thought would just be no matter how talented or skilled you are in whatever you do, have a backup plan. And if it yeah. doesn't work out, you know, you got to find ways to, you know, make things a positive like what Shay's doing. He's awesome, man.
2: You know how we're going to end this show? Be like Shay. That's how we're ending it. Yeah. For, for uh, Zach, this is Eric. Have yourselves a great week, and we'll talk to you.